0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review.
1: Welcome to episode 246. I don't suppose we could have a moment of cuddling. This week, we're discussing episode four of Class, co owner of A Lonely Heart, and season five, episode four of Angel, Hellbound.
0: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, Co-owner of a lonely heart. Um, It is kind of funny to get all of the um, pop culture references as titles here. Uh, (laughs) I feel like with, with the Buffyverse, it kind of got further away from like I feel like early on we had a lot to say about some of the titles, mm. um, kind of like with dual significance, or your, the, or there were like references, or or at least could have been references to things, right? And like, like now we're at like hellbound. Like <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't know that there's like a lot to say about that title given sort of the subject matter of it, sure. like, um. And that's not to say that there won't be other episodes where we could talk about the titles, but I feel like it's been a while in, in mm-hmm. Buffy, uh, in the Buffy verse in general since we've sort of done that. Um, yeah. Ooh, on right. on the other hand, like I don't know that I have a lot to say about co-owner of a lonely heart. It's just kind of like they took a song title and added "co" to it, and you're like, oh, haha, that's funny because like they share a heart,
1: right?
0: Like, there's not a lot of deep analysis to say but it's worth noting it's kind of they're they're kind of fun pop culture references so. mm-hmm. sure um anyway i just figured i'd start that i actually didn't um i didn't ask you uh if we had a any like production notes so i can um, ask that now <laughs> yeah
1: no i don't i don't have any and um I mean, I'll, you know, keep looking and be ready to be proof wrong, but, um, I don't think I generally have a lot of them for class. I mean, probably most of the behind the scenes stuff is sort of the beginning and the end because they're all written by the same person. Right. Um, and so, and it's like, you know, when there's only sort of one season, it's not like we are getting a lot of development in style from you know era to era it's like sort of like you no know, they just had one go and sort of did it all together and everything um so individually as episodes i don't know that there's as much to distinguish there were you know the episodes of doctor who or of buffy um where you know you get more information about how behind the scene things influenced like the writing of the storylines or whatever Mm-hmm. Um. So that's all to say no. Um. I think for the most part, I think everything we said in the intro still holds
2: true. Um, <laughs> it's the yeah, same I, same
1: actors, same storyline, same characters. Um. So yeah.
0: It's not like yeah, it's not like we're that far into it. And although no. saying that we're halfway or into, halfway through it, yeah, <laughs> into the show. Um, so it's not, I mean, not that they necessarily knew there was only going to be one season, obviously, when they were writing it, but from a, from a structural perspective of the season, um, very much makes it, this is, like, the mid-season finale, you know, right, with, complete with, uh, I mean, I don't know if, I know it didn't actually air that way, because, like, it just sort of aired all the way through, like, week to week, right, like, there was no gap here, Mm -hmm. um, like there would have been, you know, like say with Buffy or Angel where the actual mid season, you know, it's like maybe in early December and then you come back in like late January or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, that's kind of like the cliffhanger part of it, right, like is is exactly at halfway through the season. So from right. a structural perspective, um, maybe there's a little a little bit of a significance there. And also Mm -hmm. just um, since we did carve out a few minutes here to talk about um, totally unplanned uh, production notes, um, just thinking through, too, like as much of an arc that there is, like you're seeing things now um, like a little bit more of a through line for, um, in particular, I want to say like Quill more than anyone. I mean, Mm -hmm all of the characters have some of a through line, obviously, like, I mean, it's, you know, week to week things are happening. Um, You know, you're getting a return to the reference to the cabinet and kind of learning a little more about the mythology of that Um, and that kind of stuff, which we'll talk through. But I think, like, as far as, like, Quill goes, like, you're seeing sort of, like, she's the one with, like, the sort of deep-seated motivation. Everyone else is kind of like, oh, we're students and, Mm. you know, at school and we kind of are taking our things day to day. Quill seems to be the one, if there's going to be like any sort of like, well, we already know that like, if she had a chance to like stab Charlie in the back, literally or metaphorically, Mm -hmm. like that she would do it. So we're now getting a bit of that opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. sort of seeing how she, will react and, and maybe getting uh, getting away from even like the charge that the doctor gave her in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of helping and keeping, protecting not just Charlie, but like everybody and right, right. that kind of thing, so.
1: Yeah, and I guess it's, <clears throat> is it part of her subversion of the kind of Giles figure of, you know, the kind of, advisor and guardian and protector and Giles certainly had significant character arcs you know he's not purely a static parental figure like he definitely changes and he definitely has some of the kind of darker sides that you know they're playing with with Quill, with Quill but um and, but and I feel even like it,
0: betrayal to some degree
1: sure but i feel like it took a little longer to get there Like, more so in in Buffy season one, it's like maybe not until the second season or more that you start to get a sense of like, okay, Giles has a character arc all on his own. Mm -hmm. Um, That isn't, he's not there as a kind of exposition figure and and support and guidance for the teenage characters. Um, He's not there to lay
0: out the plot of the week. right right. this is the monster and this is what we must do to kill it
1: right exactly um whereas like that's like not at all quills like she seems like she's gonna be that kind of person and that's not really what she does like she's actually most now that you're kind of pointing it out i'm kind of realizing she's not um even always really involved in whatever the kind of monster of the week is it's like she has these own little tangential adventures of her own mm-hmm. that may or may not be connected to the main monster um and yeah and maybe of all of them has the kind of biggest character arc going at the moment um or at least the biggest question of like what's she gonna do next
0: um sure yeah, no, I I think that and I, as you were sort of describing that I was I was thinking too like I mean, I think part of that's just the dynamic of with Giles, it's it's very much he's he's the watcher but you know, there's a convincer aspect mm-hmm. to his character at least early on of of having to convince Buffy to accept uh her role as, you know, the slayer and protector whereas um with quill like there's no convincing she has to do it or like like she has to be this protector or whatever for charlie anyway and she she can't not do it right like it's if she doesn't do it then she dies so she's she's trapped into it there's no like convincing or whatever and and the things that she's doing is like trying to find like loopholes in how the Mm -hmm. magic or whatever works so that like, Hey, if I can get someone else to fire the gun, then, then that's okay. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, if I'm not actually pulling the trigger, then that's perfectly fine. Or, um, you know, Oh, posing as your parent on parent teacher conference day doesn't actually protect you in any way. Unless, you know, like, Like, there's sort of a gray area there where, like, Charlie seems to think that it does. So, like, she has to do it to some degree, but, like, there's no, like, it's not something she would have just done, Mm. like, as, like, a role of, like, okay, like, I'm pretending to be, like, your guardian, and so, like, automatically I'll show up on Parent Teacher Day. No. Like, this isn't, you know, Buffy and Dawn, you know, situation of, like, Buffy playing the guardian role on on Parent Teacher Day when she does that. It's it's more, you know, whatever. I'm going to be like as slack as I have to be or as I can be about being an actual guardian and just, uh, unless there's something I absolutely have to do, um, you know, just sort of let it go.
1: Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder the nuances of her sort of contract or slavery or whatever it is that how do we define like how do we decide which are the situations that like is it is she obligated because Charlie feels like he needs protecting or like he wants her there or he feels threatened is that enough to compel her or is it that like there has to be immediate physical danger for her to you know be held to that or does she Mm -hmm. have to agree like you know i guess the question arises about how what constitutes the dangerous situation that she's compelled to protect him from
0: right well and and also like does that then set up situations of like okay well to protect you i'm going to like entrap you in your in the house and never let you go anywhere. Like, is that, is that the road we're going down here? Like if, if Charlie sort of presses these issues, uh, you know, right. Or is that going to be more problematic in the long run?
1: Or the other way, is there a way to get out because she can make an argument that, oh, it wasn't clear to me that there was a dangerous situation Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe he, Wanders in too far somewhere and if she's not aware that he needs protecting is she sort of able to be off the hook for that um, so Yeah, there's a couple different ways that she could play it, but yeah, it is kind of interesting to see her story kind of quietly ticking along in the, in the background without the others really realizing that they're not the center of attention all the time.
2: Um, Mm -hmm. Or the center uh, of
1: our attention, the audience. Like, it's not just with the kids. It's also what's Quill up to. And the others aren't really paying attention to that.
0: Which is, of course, a very teenage, high school sort of thing. Like, oh, you're you're not always the center of attention. Um, Right.
1: Oh, adults aren't only here for our benefit, but have lives that continue when we're not in
0: the room and yeah right um and which quill alluded to right in the dragon tattoo one was that Mm -hmm. the last one no that was two ago right where the um the robot which we get the reference to right, right uh right is uh you know she's like everyone's focused on the wrong thing right like Mm-hmm. You're all running around, you know, freaking out about this dragon tattoo thing, and there's like robots and this group called the Governors that like you mm-hmm. should be worried about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, which is I, kind of yeah. true. Like we're we're getting a little more like information about that, right? And kind, well, not to I, all right, might be jumping too far ahead. So maybe we need to pull back after this. But like, um, we kind of get the sense that like, yeah, like. Charlie, especially, should be maybe paying a little more attention to, like, this whole governor's thing. Mm-hmm. Especially if if there's a sense that, you know, Quill uh, might be making a deal kind of behind his back,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, uh, with this uh, new head teacher or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, we had more to say about that. Um that seems to be the case more often than not um, <laughs> when we get into it. But I wanna start off um I want to start off talking about April. Um of of our group. And I, I mean this isn't hasn't been true every week, but um mm-hmm. I think this is sort of like the second time now at least that we've sort of focused on her primarily and then have kind of, you know, kind of get other some some of the others in there um ram in particular um because of their burgeoning relationship um Mm -hmm. and uh but also you know we get you know we get the others kind of here and there but uh i would say april's more the focus of this episode than any of the others um yeah for sure primarily because of you know her connection to the shadow king right um and and through the heart that they share Mm -hmm. um Hence the subject of the title. Um, but anyway, the uh, where I wanted to start was actually, though, with um, her parents and kind of her relationship with her mom, which we get a little bit more, um, and then obviously the very strained relationship with her dad, who's mm-hmm. uh, just released from prison. Um, the, so the opening part where she's like playing violin and then like breaks a string and, uh, you know, she sort of bruises up and heals very quickly and her mom comes in and, um, like, it's kind of funny. Like I was thinking like, you know, cause my, my kids have played instrument. I, my, my younger daughter still plays instruments. My, my older daughter did play. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, I want I play guitar, but uh, like, you know, when you're practicing, I mean, I think this would be true of most parents, like your, you know, child is practicing their horn or whatever in their room or violin or whatever, like you're not necessarily like listening to the music. I mean, depending on their age and how long they've been doing it, it might not be very good. So you might not want to listen <laughs> anyway. Um, but like also you know it's just it's kind of like background noise to whatever else you might be doing if you're like making dinner or you know working on other stuff like you're not necessarily sitting there listening to that but Mm. i kind of got the sense that april's mother was doing kind of precisely that it was like and i i maybe maybe my comments just now say more about me as a parent than other parents. Maybe there are parents who sit outside their tile store and listen as they're practicing. But I guess what I'm trying to say is just that like, like it seems, it seems like, okay, you know, you have, uh, her mother who kind of keeps just bursting into April's room at random Mm -hmm. inopportune times. Perhaps I mean, not that, breaking your string on your violin is necessarily inopportune, but like you can tell April's sort of angry and frustrated and, you know, it's not like maybe the moment she would choose to have like a heart to heart with her mother. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that sense of like, anytime there's like the slightest thing sort of going wrong or something that she feels she needs to be involved in, um, you know, the first time it's, it's, you know, the instrument and the broken string and that kind of thing. The second time it's, um, she doesn't know Ram is there. Of course it's, she's coming in. Um, it seems to talk about the fact that April's father is out of jail. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least that's how I read it. I don't know if that we ever get that explicitly stated, but given the way the later conversation goes, um, Mm -hmm. that seems to be what the impetus, uh, you know, for her mother coming in the room the second time and sort of interrupting, Mm -hmm. Or you know, coming at the tail end of, I guess, uh, they're having sex. So yeah, um, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to like cast aspersions. People have different parenting styles or whatever, but it does seem like there's a certain helicopter parenting might be putting it too strongly, but like mm-hmm. a certain a- attentiveness to what April's doing at any given time. Um, sure. So I don't know if you have any thoughts there or or if, I mean, maybe you disagree with me or maybe you had a different take on it, but um, just kind of wanted to throw that out. Um, Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I see kind of what you mean. It hadn't occurred to me to see it as helicopter kind of hovering. Um, But I think, like, I definitely got a sense of... I mean, maybe just because the father's out there's this sense of looking after each other um and you know as usual with these things like each of them being maybe more concerned with the other one than they are about themselves like Mm -hmm. everybody thinks they can handle whatever comes but you know i guess april's anger is mostly over what was you know the the hurt that was caused her mom um, and vice versa I think her mom is you know if she's hovering it's that kind of like checking at any given moment that April's okay because even in that first scene the dad is out right like she comes in to kind of say she doesn't know yet that April's been contacted by him but right. like she's she's letting her know
0: so i kind of i kind of even
1: imagine that is it so much that she's listening to her to the practice or is she kind of waiting to break this news that like that she doesn't realize april knows already um that she's just found out that he's been released and it might be that he is gonna be around and trying to you know talk to them or whatever um so yeah I mean, I guess the which it's hard to say outside of the one season we get here is this typical behavior between April and her mom, like are they very you know up in each other's sort of business normally <laughs> um and maybe and if they are, maybe it's just the lingering effects of the trauma that they went through of you know kind of having to rely on each other and being very protective of each other um, sure, or is it that the dad is out and they're worried. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just a sense of kind of keeping a closer eye on each other than they might normally have done. Um, and actually after our little digression about Quill, it's an interesting contrast to like the, sure. The, the Quill Charlie dynamic of like, you know, here's like a mother and child who, um, are extremely protective, you know, maybe even a little bit to a fault to the point of, you know, having boundary issues or, um, or not knowing what to do with all these strong emotions that they have in April's case. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, it's a funny, and actually I was kind of thinking that too, with the one brief scene with Ram and his dad, where his dad's kind of reminds him again, like, you can talk to me you're not alone and everything like um that being comparatively rare I feel like in kind of teenage stories like a lot of times the the parent relationships are very strained and very distant um whereas like you get I feel like for the most part even though some of these families are non-traditional or they're you know or they're broken homes or they had a parent that died or whatever the parents that are still around in this show seem to generally be good ones in that they care and they're involved and um it's like I don't I don't think any of them have like none of them have the Xander dynamic you know with his parents or you know where there's that kind of very bitter kind of yeah. distance or just not being in, interested or involved in their kids' lives and that sort of thing
0: well or um, even or even willows or even willows, yeah, yeah
1: right, like whereas like April and Ram and Tanya all have at least one good parent you know who maybe goes too far in their helicoptering, but the fault is one of trying too hard rather than. Not trying at all, um, and it's only Charlie who has this like weird non-parental relationship with his guardian.
0: Um, sure. Well, and Mateusz. And Mateusz, that's true. Yeah. But that, even that, you feel like you you get the sense that that's more recent because even like now, like in this episode, he's like, "Yeah, my parents always come to you know parent-teacher right. conference day. Uh, right. Well, but they probably won't be there this year."
1: Right, right, like they did have a very close relationship up until more recent revelations about right. his lifestyle and everything, um so, yeah, um yeah, so that's kind of how I read, like I read the hovering more as a you know a parent kind of waiting in the other room for what's the right moment to tell your kid something that is difficult that they don't want to hear. And
0: yeah. Or, and, or scary. Like, right. yeah. Like, not just for the kid, but also for the parent because <laughs> you, because there is that sense of, and, and, and well, let me just say too, like, yeah, I wasn't necessarily thinking about that first time also being sort of a, informing her about her father thing either. So I, I I can see what you're saying there. I think that might be a more reasonable even explanation um, than sort of the one I was giving. But um, I do think... So I, I think you're right. Like, I think a lot of the... Like, yeah, I don't think any of the parents are necessarily... Um, like there's no like evil or meanness in any of them, mm-hmm. at least for like the main ones. I don't I don't know. I I guess I'm not clear on where Mateusz falls. Like, is he a Scooby sure. or like right? You know, second second degree of separation kind of. Yeah,
1: thing. yeah. Well, and, and and I don't think the show ever is clear on that either because that is one production note I I remember is the fact that. He's in every episode, um, but never listed in the, like, main credits. So Right, he's like a event,
0: recurring guest star.
1: It's, but, like, it's always that thing, which that drove me crazy with Lauren, too. Like, can you call someone a guest star when they're in every episode? Um, that seems like, I mean, I know there's weird contractual things or whatever, but it, it does make it a little hard to know where to place him in the sort of character hierarchy of, right? Is he main character? Is he supporting? Is he love interests Like what? So yeah, I wasn't even really—that's shame on me. I wasn't even really thinking of him when I was thinking about those parental relationships. Um, but I yeah, think. his is obviously the most strained, and he's the only one that seems like he comes from like a nuclear family too. Um, and, sure, and of course it's the one that's. You know, now like you know, they've sort of are on the cusp of disowning each other. So.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. So Jackie and Hugh. Hugh. Who are um, April's parents? Um. I guess maybe. Um. So, so you get like um i do I do kind of think there's that funny well i I don't know, even though that it's meant to be funny per se, I found it funny, <laughs> which again may say more about me than anyone else, um scene of like you know ram like I, and i th- I think this is a little uh subversive as well, like if you want to sort of um think about like sort of the stereotypes of like how girls teenage girls in particular like are supposed to like think about relationships and romance and and that kind of stuff but you have like ram being the one who's like all kind of excited and a twitter to like see her you know after this like they just had this kiss and whatever and she's kind of like yeah hey how's it going (laughs) and like um I don't know. I I feel like that seems pretty, um, yeah, like kind of turning things on its head, at least mm-hmm. from a stereotype point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that she's not even meaning that to be like, oh, you know, you don't mean anything to me or aren't like important to me. It's, yeah, there's this whole other stuff going on. And I think that's another aspect of like, you know, we talked about um, just that idea of like, you know high school is maybe that time for finding out that like every the world doesn't revolve around you and mm-hmm. this is where like i mean for for both i think ram and april in that moment like they're both thinking only about themselves right it's mm-hmm. only like why don't you share my enthusiasm for like seeing me that i have for you i didn't i said that terribly <laughs> but like you know, I have this enthusiasm about seeing you, and you didn't reciprocate, so now right. my world is yeah. my world is ending, and you know i'm uh yeah sad and angry, and all of these things um and of course, that's not what April's saying because she's totally thinking about her world, right, which is right I've got my dad trying to contact me and uh alien from another dimension trying to steal my heart right trying to take me over yeah (laughs) like literally steal it not like the romantic steal my heart right and and so um what i like about that is that like like there is that recognition by april of oh wait no there's a moment of empathy there of like i didn't actually my like i realized my reaction wasn't Mm -hmm. what you were looking for and and was or at least what you were hoping for, and and it's not like I didn't mean it in a way to be offensive or cruel or you know anything like that. It's just I've got stuff going on too, and mm-hmm. and so there's there's sort of that which prompts her then to share it, and and I think there's a a really like I think again like that's not typical of like uh, like I. I I could see like a lot of, you know, high school teenage shows like taking that very same scenario and being like now, you know, Ram's going off and like spreading rumors about how terrible mm-hmm. a person she is and, you know, she gets hurt and offended by the things that he's saying and tries to maybe hurt him back and say bad things about him or what, you know, all kinds of, you know, those kind of things. But no, they they actually like talk about it and express what's going on and kind of figure out like, Oh, okay. Like, like there is something really here, but we're both kind of in the thick of things. And so, you know, let's see how we can help each other out. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you have anything there about sort of that initial part of their I mean of course, okay so then they go to the car and they talk it through and there's the head teacher and they go have sex and okay um I don't I don't know like if there's more to talk about in that part of it but um yeah that sort um,
1: of I mean the, another thing I I noted and sort of wrote down was um again in that conversation with Ram's dad him saying that he's actually like feeling better than he has been and that he made some new friends and like yeah like Pretty quickly, you know, four episodes in isn't, I think that's, you know, a lot faster than you'd normally have a character like Ram kind of admitting that, oh, these are my new friends. Um, Hmm. You know, so maybe there is like some subversion there of he's actually like, you know, not that they're not still portrayed as teenage angst like not that they don't still have problems and that they're not gonna you know find them difficult or sulk about them or whatever um but they're actually able to work through them pretty quickly to a certain extent you know like not like crazy fast but like i mean you get the sense that like time is passing and everything Mm -hmm. um but like but it's only
0: like one day Sure. <laughs> like this episode's only one day. It's not sure. Like sure, sure. Yeah. A lot of time. I, I, I yeah. we don't technically, I guess, know how long it's been since. Right. Like, I
1: don't know how long it's been since like Ram's girlfriend died or whatever. Like. Well, I was just um, even
0: going to say like the last episode, right? Because like, there's a new right. headmistress now, right? So right. or head teacher now, and so, like, there's sort of that allusion to like, oh yeah, like that happened fast. So like. I don't, I don't think it's like, I mean, maybe it's not next day, but it's probably not, I well, and maybe it's real time, right? Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's like next week or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you get them actually, you know, like, you know, again, only four, say four weeks later from the the point where Tanya's like, are we like mates? Like we're not really anything to (laughs) each other. Um, and, and, and even
0: Ram saying, like, you know, yeah. why am I talking to you people? Like, right, right. We don't, you know, jocks don't associate with nerds or whatever.
1: Right. But pretty quickly that, you know, that tide has shifted. And, I mean, yeah, except, and, pre- and,
0: except pretty ones who are willing to kiss you, I guess. Sure. <laughs> Although, I mean,
1: and, you know, there is that kind of, um. Uh, there is that thing of, you know, Ram being the kind of popular jock and, you know, April supposedly being the kind of wallflower. Um, I the, feel like there's really no hint of that in this episode. Like, any acknowledgement that, like, there ever was a time where he might have been embarrassed to be sure. with a girl like her.
0: Um, the, the she's all that factor.
1: Right. Like, we're, like, <laughs> she's, like, completely make made over. And... Yeah, there's, you know, maybe we could have used a little bit of a memory of, like, she seems, like, mighty confident for someone who it seemed like had no friends, like, three weeks ago. Um, But maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe it is just the thing of what they've been through and that nobody else understands and they're finding this sort of connection and common ground where they wouldn't have it anywhere
0: else. And before too long, we should talk about the Shadow King. Because I do think some of the confidence that she... Get, I want I, to be careful how I say this. Because I think there's a certain amount of confidence. And I don't even know if I'd call it confidence. But like... Stealiness? Or, <laughs> or like determination maybe is a better term. Of just like not allowing her father to sort of like ruin her life. Or like you know yeah. come back willy nilly. So I think that's all of her, but I also I definitely get the sense with like scenes like where they're in the classroom talking about what it means to be a soldier that mm-hmm. there's some of the emotional aspect just like just like the Shadow King gets, you know, teenage girl emotions, like she gets some Shadow yeah. King emotions in there. And I think there's a certain level of mixing there that mm-hmm. that some of her I think we're prompted to believe that there's some uh, element of the Shadow King's sort of personality or whatever there. So so while I agree that it's fast, I think part of that is because their connection is growing stronger. Mm-hmm. And um, again, that's not to say that like she doesn't have her own sort of determination and stuff, especially in relation to her father. But just that there's... There's some aspect there that she's sort of inheriting, or you know, through osmosis or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of gleaning some of that uh steeliness and determination from the Shadow King himself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely fair. Um, yeah, so. I mean, you mentioned also the Shadow King going both ways, the Shadow King kind of getting some of her, yeah. um, you know, getting a little turned on by her sort of sexy, sexy time. Um, and like, <laughs> not just like going, I, I not just to like say. going soft, like you would imagine, but like actually kind of seeming to sort of get it on with his minions and stuff, which is kind of hilarious.
0: The um, the the minion getting offended by like the king not being wholly like pleased or or seeming right. to not be wholly pleased right. was like both the most ridiculous but also kind of the funniest part yeah. of like the whole yeah episode like that I mean that whole thing I think is meant to be a bit silly and ridiculous mm-hmm. just in general um you know you're showing the mating colors like right (laughs) um yeah and and i think like that's all fine like you're getting this sense of like that this is not a normal thing for a shadow king who's all war and you know Mm -hmm. uh you know well war and and fire and shadow or whatever but like Right, but then his
1: minion is into it, so it's like, yeah. does this stuff like, go on I, I thought you'd never often, ask. You know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, or maybe, well, sure, right. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't pretend to know about the sexual habits of the Shadowkin. Of but, the
1: Shadowkin,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, you do get the sense that, like, like, it's not, like, the mating colors are a thing, and it doesn't seem like wholly out of bounds that it would happen right then. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't know. Like, we've got a data point of one, you know? So we can't really make a determination there. But, um, no, it is kind of funny um, that that all happened. But, yeah, I mean, you see it going both ways. So uh, there's... I, I think it's kind of funny um too, like that moment where April's sort of sitting on the bench, right? And her dad's like, you know, she threatened me with swords and she kind of like, eh, they're more like scimitars, but mm-hmm. that's you know, like whatever, like tomato tomato. And um right, but she's very, deny it. She she's very blasé about it, right? Like yeah. very like like there's no denial yeah there's no um you know no apology no like oh yeah i'm sorry i like whipped these swords out and like threatened you with them like yeah. she's totally fine with it and i think that's that's the other way of like like the the shadow king wouldn't he's not like apologizing for like chopping his minions in half or anything right like yeah so i think that's just sort of another aspect there where they're there's sort of that bleed through and, and sharing of emotions and thoughts and and whatever
1: yeah yeah
0: and and you get sort of the visual and verbal aspect of that too, where you know they're saying the same things or or ne- very nearly the same thing, um, mm-hmm. even though the connotation might be slightly different um and you know, making the same sorts of motions, but obviously with different results um and that kind of thing as well
2: mhm
1: yeah um, so what do you make of the uh the the healing of her mom yeah um like I was trying do, to- we, do we think that this is like an innate part of the kind of Shadowkin power? Or is this sort of I don't know what else it could be? I healing doesn't seem like a trait I would associate with the Shadow Kin. Um so then it kind of makes you wonder how what exactly is giving her that ability, you know, uh in that moment.
0: Well, except that the I don't know the name the 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 minion with whom the Shadow King has sex, mm-hmm. um, comes up with this plan, right, of doing s- whatever the Technobabble is of like basically stealing the heart so that like it's fully within the Shadow King rather than sort of being shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know the gender of the minion if they're both the same gender or. If there's like multiple genders, we don't, act, I don't think we actually get a clear sense, but he or she or whatever it is, um, says I'll be continually healing you mm. during this process. You know, it's going to hurt, but like, I'll, I'll continually heal you until like you're done. And oh it's yeah. All you're over. right.
1: You're right. Yeah. So- I've forgotten about that line.
0: So I agree, like, it's not necessarily a thing I would associate, but there is that explicit mention. So you get the sense that, like, while maybe it's not, like, a commonly used power, that, like, there is is at least the power to heal within the magic or technology or powers of the Shadowkin themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seems that seems like it's possible, if, you know, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: at least in this particular instance, if not normally, like, because they're in the middle of this sort of procedure that, you know, they're trying to do. Sure. So maybe and, it's that there's. Whatever's connecting the two of them, they're sort of infused with some sort of healing ability at that time,
0: yeah, and maybe maybe it's not something that the Shadow King himself normally could do right because he has to call in this minion right, right. obviously right um, so maybe it's not something that he personally does like on a normal basis, but maybe it's something that um, he's capable of uh, or that April is capable of doing because the Shadow King himself is being healed at that moment. And so maybe like that power is seeping through. And so so maybe it's not something <coughs> that she can mm-hmm. always do because of that connection. But maybe in that moment, like you said, because the Shadow King is being healed, like, like maybe that gives her the power to heal as well. Right, I, right. I mean, <laughs> we don't get a clear like, there's no like, um, you know, instruction manual. No. On how all of that works. So.
1: No, and it's it's even a very fleeting moment of. It's not like you even get a big like. Scene of her mother walking again. It's just a.
2: Like she's, you just know, moves her she's just little, like yeah.
1: barely can move her legs. So you don't even really get to explore kind of. You know, too much of the consequences of it. Um yeah yeah and then uh yeah and then she opens up a tear you know yeah makes which, herself uh, a rip and apparently
0: then, is something she can also do now
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah and with the power to do all these things seems to come the knowledge that she can do them you know like Mm-hmm. The idea that, oh, if I reach into my mother's spinal cord, I can fuse it back together. Or, you know, or if I or whatever, slash yeah. with this sword, then, you know, this portal's going to open. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's part of her confidence, too, is the certainty of what will happen if I do these things.
0: Well, and, and you get the sense that there's a knowledge transfer going on there, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. The shadow king like she says like oh he knows where i am but that also means that i know now where he is so like mm-hmm. if those are things that he could do and she has access to those powers now like she apparently also has access to the knowledge about the powers that's the way i sort of read it was mm-hmm. that like but she doesn't just inherit the power and is sort of like oh what do i do with this new power that i have right there's no like Quest to go find herself, as far as that goes, right? Yeah. It's it's. Oh, I have these powers, and I know exactly how to use them because the the source of knowledge is the same as the source of the power itself. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't. Anything else, sort of, about April and her family and stuff? We didn't talk a lot about Ram, but like, I I don't. I like I mean he's there, like he's supportive, he's uh you know like I can understand the mother, you know, mm-hmm. being very uh upset with walking in when she yeah. did. Or uh sorry. Coming in when she did. Um mm-hmm. she didn't walk, of course. Um but like if I'm, you know, having two teenage daughters myself, I don't know that I would have reacted quite mm-hmm. as uh, you know, whatever. Um, but like Ram if I'm being objective, Ram does give pretty good answers to like sort of the questions and concerns that she puts forth. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, I, right. Although there is
1: that that I mean, I don't think it's any based on anything that Ram has done. Um But there is that kind of suggestion, too, of, um, oh, he's not dad. Well, neither was your dad at first. That, like, you know. Sure. I mean, now, her dad is kind of terrible. And Ram, like you said, seems like a good guy. I don't want to put them on the same moral footing. But, you know, there is that kind of thing of Ram being the bad boy in, in the sense of the popular kid um so i think like that's part of the i mean not that april's mother knows him very well but that's part of the worry too is um what what kind of guys is she gonna yeah. go after you know that's always when you've had a sort of strained relationship with a parent that's sort of a question that yeah you know well, arises
0: and, and you never know how someone is going to change as they change, grow yeah, or yeah, yeah. or even if it's not change how they're gonna react to new situations that arise which isn't mm-hmm. maybe necessarily a change but is just given their personality you know if something if a particular situation had, because i mean the 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 thing that you know the thing that keeps coming back about um april's dad that i obviously there's a lot of dislike for what he did Mm -hmm. um understandably i mean trying to you know kill not just yourself but like people around you as well is is not something that would be easily forgiven or or even easily understood necessarily um but it's interesting like like there's a sense in which like there's a mental illness there
2: mm-hmm.
0: of or or at least a mental uh you know we don't know specifically why he tried to kill himself but like if he was depressed like that's
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a different consideration than like someone who's evil or angry or whatever and like tries to kill you. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's, right. there's a different aspect of that. And we've heard about him being in prison, but we haven't heard about did he get help for right. like his, his depression or, you know, whatever else might be bothering him, you know, on that score. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously still very distressed about wanting to, you know, stay in April's life in some way. Like, you know, he says, I miss my daughter. I, you know, I I want... He, he doesn't say he misses his wife, but, like, at least April he seems to care about quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and is obviously then, again, very distressed when, like, she pulls out swords and, like, is swinging them at him. Um, not, like, understandably so. So I, yeah. I guess all of that to say, like, none of that necessarily excuses like what he did, but, but it is a different consideration than, you know, someone who's, you know, it's not like the master, like who's just sort of a wanton killer, right? Right, Like going around killing people or whatever. Um, or even a more run of the mill, like he was robbing someone and killed, you know, them in the middle of doing some other crime or whatever. Um, So yeah, so I guess like I don't I don't quite know all where I'm going with that, but just to say that like I feel like there's an aspect of that that we still sort of have left unexplored of like
2: mm-hmm.
0: the father that's not necessarily um, I don't know just like not. Not that like we're expecting April to forgive him or that like we should just say, okay, like you served your time and now you're good again or anything like that, but like also that there's like a certain level of, um, yeah, maybe mental distress that like mm-hmm. needs to be accounted for in that you know relationship too. And and so I like if you're talking biologically, like is that how much of that? Could potentially affect april if she's you know a product of both her parents like you know there's that potential that she might be a little suicidal on her own as well um Mm -hmm. and not that i'm saying like that we get any indication of that but like i don't know just just those are just some random thoughts that are kind of going through my head i don't know that i've like wholly subsumed them into like a theory or or whatever but um I just feel like that's... Right, or a prediction
1: or something, yeah.
0: That's part of maybe her father's character that like we haven't really explored. And that could potentially be something that would affect April herself. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond just being upset by the fact that like he tried to kill them. You know, mm-hmm. in this suicidal way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the lesson of empathy starts to come in, too. Um uh-huh. You know not just having empathy for um, soldiers on the battlefield but um but anybody who's gone through any sort of distress or trauma or you know um and I think that, yeah, I think you make a good case that you know his actions aside of like what he did, you know the circumstances put her dad into. A different category than just these sort of indiscriminate monsters that kill people for no reason or selfish reasons or whatever it is mm-hmm. so yeah I mean it's part one so I mean we don't have to predict necessarily but there's certainly you know at least another part to come you know yeah. with her dad still around so
0: um so in the last, like, four minutes, Yeah. talked talk about all the other characters.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we kind of started to talk about Charlie and uh, Quill already.
0: Um, sure. But, yeah. I mean,
1: maybe there's some more to say about them that we hadn't haven't hit yet.
0: Well, I think with Charlie in particular... So I, I don't know that I have much more to say about the two of them together. Uh, and Charlie, I want to talk about him and Matej, because you get, um, at the beginning... Um, a little more of the mythology around the cabinet,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and sort of. I don't. I don't know exactly how to categorize Mateus's um response or whatever. Um, but like, so so we learn that um, right? So so like he learns that the cabinet still sort of has souls in it, which we knew already. Yeah. Uh, but we get a little more about sort of the mythology of it. Um, being not just a weapon, but a way to restore the people, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, some hero, uh, a, a champion, if we're to use the like <laughs> language of angel, um, you know, could come along and instead of it being purely a weapon, it would be a, uh, a way of restoring um, Charlie's people. I forget what they're called. Actually, oh, I of my head, uh, I or too. I don't even know if we get a name for them. We get, uh, we get, the, we get the Quill, who are no, like No, we do,
1: but I don't remember what it is.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, oh. Restoring Charlie's people, and um, but it's still like genocide because like they would just sort of like take over the bodies of. Or, right. or as I understand it, they would take over the bodies of whatever people they're sort of set upon, I guess. Right, um, and,
1: destor- and destroying their souls in the process. You know, the right. people that they're... Yeah, so I guess we've heard that it could be a weapon, and we've heard that it could be this sort of hopeful fairy tale for their people, but I guess that now you kind of see how they're... That's the same thing,
0: right um, it's like both at the same time,
1: right, like there's no way to use like give you know for him to restore his family and give them that happy ending without using it as this kind of weapon which, of mass destruction,
0: which I think i mean i I'm just thinking of this now, but like that's a very Doctor Who theme right mm-hmm. of you know in order to save one you sort of have to destroy everything else right like like right. the daleks won't stop un- until they're all destroyed right and this, like same with the cybermen like in order to save everyone for the cybermen you have to kill all the cybermen right right or you know disable them or whatever um
1: right and the and the kind of complex morality of of the moment you know um like this weapon of mass destruction that will judge you if you use it. You know, like there's there's no way to use it without the the kind of moral judgment that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, yeah, and a very doctorish sort of thing of that kind of on that scale, how how do you make a decision like that? Um Yeah. So, Yeah, and and I guess how to characterize Mateusz sort of offended that Charlie's only telling him this stuff now, I guess. Um, Maybe kind of thinking or wishing that they were they had gotten there already. Um, That they're sort of you know, Charlie's being very coy about the cabinet and I mean, given what it can do, I mean, I guess that's sort of fair enough. Um, But, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, right. So he says, you lied. And Charlie goes, I did. Um, You know, because sometimes princes have to lie. And he says, because these are the souls of every... Oh, Rodians. Rodians. Rodians, I always think
1: rodeo, and then I think that's not right.
0: (laughs) Uh, Rodians who ever lived... Everyone I've ever known, my family and people I love, I'm in charge of protecting them. Um, Which is interesting, given... So, actually, and I hadn't thought of this before, too, that's an interesting insight into sort of why he is so adamant about Quill's protecting him, right? Mm -hmm. It's because, like, he sees himself as a protector. And so he wants her... I, I think this is me doing sort of crit fic on yeah uh no charlie like i think he wants uh quill to take the sort of like noble guardian protector role that he feels he's sort of Mm -hmm. been charged with right um you know he wants her to take that towards him but of course like that's not the relationship they have, right? Like she doesn't, it, theirs isn't the relationship of like a king and his people right. or, you know, Prince or whatever he is. Um, well, and
1: and if he, if he's is going to protect his people, he needs her to take that seriously because if he dies, then who's going to protect the cabinet? So it's like a practical thing of like, is it less about you owe me this or is it more about, um, his desperation to keep the cabinet safe and quill is the thing enabling him to do that.
0: Right. But I think, I think the thing there is, is the matter of expectation of sure of her having the same sort of noble, uh, you know, goal or charge that he has when in fact Mm -hmm. she doesn't, she does not have that at all. Like that's, Not anything like the situation. Hers is as a slave, which is sort of what Tanya gets at. That's what Tanya's pointing out.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think Tanya's kind of, you know, pointing out why should she have this noble idealism about protecting you when she is essentially a slave, when it's something she has no choice in and has to do. How can you expect her to take that on as though it's a thing that she chose?
2: Mhm right.
0: um, yeah, and Charlie gets really upset with that, as you know monarchs tend to do when you question how they rule,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about Charlie and and sort of all that stuff. But yeah, yeah I just wanted I to kinda, kind of kind of bring that up. I'm sure that will come up again. I mean, um, Chekhov's cabinet will almost certainly <laughs> reappear. Um,
1: right, but will it be used? I guess. Is-
0: Sure. And that's. So, my question. That is my question. To put it even a little more specifically, I think my question would be will it be used in the eight episodes of the only season that we have? Or would it be like. Um, so, <laughs> I've not watched Shot of Babylon 5, as you know, um, mm-hmm. but I have seen the first season. And in the opening episode, or. I don't know, is it a mini-series? Is it, like, a double episode, or... I can't remember if it's... Something like that. Yeah. um, There's, uh... Oh, gosh, I can't even remember the characters' names. But the one... The one female ambassador character who pulls out, like, her gravity ring. And then, Mm -hmm. like, apparently, like, it never gets used again in, like, the entire series. Um... Like that's kind of like, I mean, we've seen the cabinet again already. So like already it's not that, but like, I kind of wonder, is it like this thing where it's like they were going to, they were going to like save it and have it be this, like, you know, hoping that like class was like, I don't know, five or 10 seasons long. Like, would it be this thing where like the ultimate choice doesn't come until like the final season when like he, it's, like, finally time to pull out the cabinet and use it. And, like, all the meanwhile it's just sort of been... You, we know about it and been sitting in the background. But right, I don't... Right. So part of me is, like, that'd be kind of cool if that was the plan all along. Another part of me is, like, yeah, but, like, I feel like storytelling today just doesn't have that much of a long game anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't think we ever get seasons of any show like that where you have sort of this... Mm -hmm. really long mythology that it's like if we get to you know season seven or eight then we'll sort of reveal it i feel like when that does happen it's sort of like a happy accident or it's just like Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like that thing of um we've talked about like with russell davies where it's like he sort of spreads a lot of stuff around that he might come back to later but like right right you know, it's not necessarily planned like, oh, we're going to return to this in right. later seasons. Um,
1: right. right. And I think um, they, you know, whether or not they thought class would get canceled, I think probably things have less of a long game now because there are just that much more stuff and the risk of cancellation is that much higher. Like, Right. You know, I think there has to be a part of the writers that know that this might be the only season. So, oh, for I think sure. they're they're encouraged to not maybe save their best ideas for season 5, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, um, and, and and the difference between sort of broadcast and cable, too, right? Like Yeah. where you get, you you I mean,
1: right. right. We have eight weeks here and
0: Or or even like streaming now with like Hulu yeah. where it's like you know before you know the first season of you know Handmaid's Tale is done that there's gonna be another season already. Because they've already they announced it like before they even made it available for streaming. Like right. you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, it anyway, so I and that's not necessarily a criticism it's just me trying to play the game of do i think charlie's gonna open the cabinet and like if so on who like like has it occurred to him to like wipe out the shadow kin with Mm -hmm. like the souls of his people and and if not you know why not and if and if so like why does he choose not to do it is because like it would be too sort of horrifying to like have your people take the form of the Shadowkin? You know, the people who killed Mm -hmm. you? Or would that be, like, the perfect form of justice? I don't, you know, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: We went way off the mark there. Oh,
1: we went, well, and we've gone a little bit bit over. I don't think we have to go deep into it because we're going to get part two. Um. But just to acknowledge this, again, Quill with her little important subplots. Like side
0: um, side quests. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, with meeting the new head teacher who is clearly an alien because she knows things that she shouldn't know. And they just, you know, I like that moment of, you know, like, <laughs> and this is part of the fun. This isn't even a problem. But in all these shows, it's like watching the slow burn of the characters figure out, like, oh, there might be something alien going on here. Whereas, like, here it's just, like, wait, she's kind of weird. Has to be alien. Like, this is just their default assumption now. Um,
0: Or or is it, like, Eve, who's just, like, close in league with the alien slash...
1: Right, right.
0: Demon, whatever.
1: Right. We... We don't know. Either she is an alien or has contact with hires up who seem to be alien, potentially. Um, And yeah, and seems to be offering Quill some opportunities and seems, the governors seem happy with Quill and her, you know, her performance and everything. So, I don't whatever that tells you about the governors I guess, you know, take that Mm -hmm. for what it's worth. Um and then we have this invasion of the petals, which is sort of slowly unfolding. Um
0: the carnivorous petals.
1: Yeah. But the and that's a great cheap monster. Um I like I like a monster that just is just some petals that like, all right, let's just buy like a lot of petals. And then like Every couple minutes we'll just sprinkle a few more in so that you can see that they're multiplying and everything.
0: But right. um
1: Yeah. And, cheap, and the cheap, fact that like, and
0: effective. Like no one seems to notice, except except Mateush. Like no one yeah. notices that like it's not blossom season. Yeah,
1: and there's petals everywhere. Um And it is kind of fun to watch it and then rewatch it and notice the petals like growing more and more throughout the episode, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you don't notice it so much, but
0: and like the, yeah. And then there's like the dead squirrel and, you know, yeah, yeah. Which I had actually forgotten about that, like shot, you know, even between the first and second time I watched it. So like when Mm -hmm. I come back, it's like, oh yeah, there's a dead squirrel. And then, um, uh, Dorothea, is that her name, right? Mm -hmm. Um, mentions like, have you noticed there's no squirrels and birds around? It's like, oh, I didn't notice that you had said that (laughs) until like, just now. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, scary petals. Scary petals. These are not Zuzu's petals. All right. Well, yeah, so we'll be, we'll talk about the next part, I guess, next week, but, uh, Mm -hmm. I'll look forward to seeing where that goes.
1: All right. Uh, switching over to Angel. Hellbound. So no, uh, deep dives into what the title means then?
0: Um, (laughs) Unless you've got any.
1: No, I think it, I think it's sort of self-explanatory. Um... And yeah, kind of another Spike episode, but but all sort of co-lead with Fred. Um, you know, we get a fair amount of Fred's stuff here, mm-hmm. um, even though it's Spike's predicament that's still sort of center focus. Um, but I kind of want to start with Fred because it's, it is just as much about her, I guess, overextension of herself in many different areas um and we get sort of one after the other conversations with spike and angel and wesley who all kind of have different points of view and different bits of advice but all of them are kind of directing her as to how she should best be spending her time and her energy and noticing when she's sort of overdoing it a bit um and I don't know if we'll mention it, so I might as well kind of point out the the moment when she's, uh runs out of whiteboard and moves on to the... The wall. You know, onto, yeah, or the window or whatever, writing yeah. on marker on the window. So, you know, the she insists that she's fine. She just ran out of space. She's not crazy, all this stuff. But there's, you know, at least the hint that the potential for her sort of going around the bend is there. Um,
0: right. And she even says her. like, again, right. Like she throws right. in that. Right. I'm not crazy right. again. like <laughs>
1: Right. Like she knows that that is within her, you know, that it, it's, it's a risk. That's um, like you were saying about April and, you know, and her dad, like, You know, certain things are just part of who you are. And, you know, Fred uh, stressed out can potentially be a dangerous thing. Um, So, yeah, so starting with her discussion with Spike, Mm -hmm. um, kind of pretending to be spooked for his benefit a little bit, you know, like trying to, although people then keep jumping behind her throughout the episode and she does seem like genuinely afraid. So maybe she's being a little putting a brave face on it and saying like, Oh, I, I was, you know, I was pretending to be scared so that you would feel included or whatever. Um,
0: Although I would say like, like we've gotten that before, right? Like where she like has called him out like, sort of pretended to, like, believe him and then, like, calls him out of, like, oh, you're so full of crap, like... Sure. So, yeah, you're right. Like, she does get spooked other times in the episode. So, I mean, I guess you can read it one way or the other, or, or maybe it's somewhere in between, but um I kind of t- took that as, like... Because even Spike, like, doesn't really believe her in that moment, right? He's like, yeah. you knew I was there. And she's yeah. kind of like... Mm. I yeah,
1: I think, yeah, I think she does it kind of for his benefit. But then as the episode goes on, I think the idea that, no, she is a bit jumpy is that, and I mean, people keep scaring her too. It's not like she's jumping at nothing. Sure. But um, but like, again, there is this suggestion of overextension, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and for sure with Spike, it's not just like the amount of work and the hours that she's pulling and everything, but it's this sort of moral responsibility. Um, You know, this feeling of kind of what she has to say to Angel about Spike being worth saving yeah, for the, you know, not just because of him or you know, even who he is, but you know, kind of for their team, for good guys you know spike as a champion um and seemingly like fighting for what's right then it's sort of on her if or at least she's putting it on herself if he gets dragged down to hell um Mm. because it's not really until this episode that they even start sharing that that's what's happening so up until she starts to tell the others you know, that's something she's keeping to herself. The idea that she's responsible to save him. Right. Um, yeah, and, and if I can defy the laws of nature, there's a good chance that I'll be able to anchor you to this plane and make you corporeal. So, like, no big deal then. Just, you know, <laughs> defy all the laws of nature and, you know. So
0: the, you know. Only most of them.
1: Yes. Um, and, and if, and if it's most of them, then there's a good chance, not even like guaranteed, but you know, at least we'll have some hope that I'll be able to do this. Um, so it doesn't even really seem all that likely in terms of the rules of physics and, you know, the science that she's trying to use. Mm Um, Her conversation with Angel, um, and it's kind of a funny moment where she starts to like explain about. She promises to take naps and eat and take care of herself and like have some self care and all this sort of thing, and he and Angel sort of like, Nah, I kind of wanted to talk about your budget,
2: right? Um,
1: like, actually, why he called her in was, you know, you're overextending your resources. You know, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars more than you know where you're supposed to be and it's only like the first quarter or whatever um right you know and then he finds out it's
0: well on, and it's it's
1: on spike you know it's not even like for what angel considers a worthy right. reason
0: right well and and also like eve is the one doing the summoning there right so like it's is I don't even know that, like, Angel would care. Except that, like, Eve is there as the sort of reminder. Like, she's the one who said before, like, if you don't stick to, you know, if, if you're not profitable, then you can't keep this gig going. Right. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: oh, that's funny. Cause I think I had just assumed that she was summoning Fred for Angel. Like,
0: well, I, like, maybe I think- at
1: his at his request. But maybe you're right, maybe that's not necessarily the case.
0: I think that's true. I mean, I think the implication, I mean, feel free to read it a different way. I'm not I'm not like we don't get an explicit thing. So I think there's room for interpretation for sure. I always I take Eve's presence there as always the reminder of like you're in charge, but kind of not really. Hmm. Right? Like like there's still like like now Angel and Team, maybe they are in charge of this branch of Wolverman Heart, but they're still like corporate overlords to answer to.
1: Right. You answer to someone.
0: Um So that's I mean, we can continue watching Eve because like like she doesn't say a whole lot here mm-hmm. in this episode. Um and there's even some potentially conflicting things that she says um or at least like antagonizing things like you, like in that conversation about Spike like where she's like oh yeah spike's you know kind of good looking and like you know all that like sort of like playing it up but is she just doing that because of Angel like and kind of trying to get at him or you know mm-hmm. what's going on so yeah i mean i i just take i always took that as like angel's the you know whatever the ceo of this branch or whatever but like there's like eve's presence there is sort of that reminder of like hey remember you have to be profitable and so part of being profitable profitable is not overexpending, you mm-hmm. know or overspending on you know sort of research and development like you you have to rein in costs while you're also like bringing in revenue.
1: Well, and, and that goes so far against the kind of remit of what used to be angel, you know, enterprises of help the helpless. Like it's basically a charitable organization and it's, you know, you know, maybe not, and- maybe not literally like they did have to like eat and Cordy had to like pay for her nice apartment or whatever, but like. Well, sure.
0: I mean, charities most- also pay their employees, right? Sure, like, sure, sure. Like- yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I'm not, but I'm not saying like every penny like went into, you know, the organization, but that was sort of the idea is, which is still their mission in theory. Um, but yeah, now it's not about let's whatever we happen to make goes back into helping more people. Now, it's sort of you know, again, we have this corporate, you know, who this corporate oversight who like you said, turning a profit, being financially you know, viable and successful is part of their duty and maybe it's certainly more important than helping people
0: to, you know, well, maybe although from what, we, from what we can tell anyway. i'll 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 throw in the the caveat there of that all of this over expenditure is going to help one vampire sure so like so the counter argument to that is like maybe it'd be one thing if you were eight hundred thousand dollars over budget and like had helped three million people with that money but this is all to help one incorporeal spirit mm-hmm. that we don't even know will end up helping. And that, like, also there's, like, questions, given his history, of, like, how good a person he actually is. Also might be damned. You know? Yeah. So so I think, I like, I hear what you're saying, that, like, there's this idea that maybe the profit motive is overstating. I mean, you know, good libertarian capitalist that I am. I don't necessarily think that has to be true. But, like, I would also say, even in this particular case that there's that there's a sense in um, what's going on here of that like like not only are you like vastly overspending your budget but you're you're vastly overspending it on this one to help this one individual that is like questionable at best as mm-hmm. to like whether or not they should actually even be helped. Even like putting aside whatever personal animosity Angel clearly has for for him, Um, except for his poetry, of course. He did like Spike's poetry.
1: Yeah, yeah. But consider the source, so. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You like Barry Manilow, so it's like, you know. I love that. that What does Angel know, really?
0: That keeps coming up as as a thing.
1: As a thing. And
0: Spike knows it. Right. well um, yeah
1: which does that imply that a- angelus liked barry manilow too
0: <laughs> well he wasn't angelus when barry manilow was barry manilow was around right oh that's true
1: that's true so, so he knows it some other way um
0: i mean yeah i think it's just like it's a general knowledge sort of thing at this point.
1: everybody knows this um that's funny uh yeah so no, I think that's those are all good points about you know where, and I can see like even with Angel's personal distaste aside um the idea of all of Fred's not just money but again her time, her energy, her effort um going into one place, yeah, um especially when people don't see the value of the place where it's going um, being problematic because there are obviously a lot of other people that are in need of help that might not be getting
0: it. And and actually, so um, one other thing that just sort of is occurring to me, um, thinking about the fact, like if, like if Eve's involvement is significant, which I, I think it is, but I mean, I suppose an argument could be made that it's not, but, but if it is, there's also the sense that, like, if Spike really is a champion, then maybe the senior partners don't want him being recorporealized. Sure. So maybe, maybe in that instance, the budget becomes an excuse. And, and I mean, I would say that there are plenty of not just companies, but you know, governments and organizations and, and all sorts of things that use sort of budgetary constraints as a reason for not doing maybe the right thing oh it it would cost too much you know to source Mm -hmm. organic cotton or something i don't you know what whatever whatever you might think would be a better thing to do than the way to do Or, or you know it might cost too much to put you know scrubbers on our smokestacks to keep the air clean and you know we would have to lay off tons of people because we wouldn't be able to afford it and Mm -hmm. you know that kind. so like like things that might seem like morally or socially good things to do become you know undoable for sort of budgetary constraint reasons whether that's accurate or not is you know maybe known only to a few but um that might be another thing here if if eve's the one involved and if Spike truly is a champion of the good, then maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's in the senior partner's best interest to not allow spike to be recorporealized. sure,
1: yeah, that's a good point um, <clears throat> so Fred's the other little conversation she has it's much shorter, but it's um with Wesley um. Mm-hmm. Where he says, uh, you know, that he'll give him 20 minutes. He'll have this, you know, information for her. Um, Mm -hmm. Under one condition, dinner. And then there's a little pause. Mm -hmm. I mean, you having one, a real one. Um, So, you know, on the one hand, it's like another person sort of noticing Fred overdoing it in some way or other. Yeah. Um, You know, this time probably physically, just like remember to eat and sleep and take care of yourself. Um, And, you know, it's the one, you know, the three of them, he's the one that's maybe most concerned with Fred's well-being. Um, But there's also that I feel like in this season, there's been a a step back from the triangle, the gun, Wesley, Fred, not entirely like we've had, you know, We've had some tension when Spike or Knox or whoever have, you know, made overtures towards Fred. You get some, like, jealousy from the others. Um, But I feel like this is the first, like, you know, there's that hint of, like, oh, are they going to go there? Like, is this going to be Wesley sort of making a move? And then it's not. But it sort of gets you thinking in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually what you said too, about the lack of tension between Wesley and Gunn and maybe that being about like, is that because the memory of Connor's gone? Um, and, and that made me think, well, if that's true, what else is gone? You know, because so much of their rivalry was sort of bound up in that. Right.
0: Um, well, that's what I, that's kind of why I said that. Cause yeah. like, cause like you would almost have to, you would almost have to take out everything that's even like tangentially related to Connor too. Right. right. And And I do right. think that. Which
1: means a lot of the stuff with Fred.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. So, I mean, maybe this is an indication of them going that direction. Like, And I'm just speculating. I mean, you know the answer. I don't. But is this, like, the idea that maybe Wesley has a bit of a clean slate with Fred, and maybe they don't realize they have a lot of this sort of messy history, and this is just him kind of maybe starting to think about, oh, you know, I could, you know, ask her out or, you know, or, you know, or maybe not starting there, but maybe beginning with saying, take care of yourself and then kind of see where that
0: goes, so. There are a number of possibilities. Sure. So we'll have to see.
1: <laughs> um, okay, so the monster of the week is more related to Spike and the sort of worsening of like severe, sharp worsening of his condition. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he starts, I mean, he hasn't been able to touch things for a while, but now he starts like falling through the floor, (laughs) like at random times, just sort of, um, you know, falling down into the kind of dark, dank, drippy basement. Um, And gradually get haunted by these really quite gruesome ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's very kind of gradual. I don't know how much we need to go through like step by step, like, you know, no, finding I, out what he does, when he does or whatever, but. Um,
0: no, there's, there's, I I think the main thing that's interesting to me is that like, like he seems at least at first not to be able to know what's like real and what's not, mm-hmm. and I think um thinking back to i I believe I think that this is very much a callback to the early seasons or the early episodes of season seven of Buffy um, when he's in the basement of the school mm. and so i I would think that there's meant to be some uh, correlation there of you know sort of his yeah you know uh, craziness and and you know whatever and and not that he acts that way here but that like you could imagine it being on his mind of like hey I was in a basement before and um just like Fred saying like this i'm not going crazy again there's maybe the same kind of thing yeah uh yeah
1: no i hadn't really thought of that connection but that makes a lot of sense um and there's that discussion in there at one point about like can ghosts have hallucinations or delusions or something sure um you know so even them kind of speculating like maybe he is seeing or experiencing things that aren't really there. If that can be said of a ghost. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and kind of along that line too, this isn't just this episode, but all of them so far. um, It's interesting to me that we never see what Spike sees when he goes to like the other place. Like when he gets his glimpses of, hell um you know it we're not privy to that um he just sort of goes away and you know i mean this is the closest we get is these sort of trapped and doomed spirits like mauling themselves and suffering for all eternity and everything
0: well but and those are all man not manifestations but like projections of the reaper right 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 that's what we're told anyway and and so my question is does he ever actually go there or are the disappearances has it always has it been the reaper the whole time
2: Mm.
1: i think there's a difference because it seems to me that this is something new. Now, it could have been that maybe the visions of Hell were, yeah, manifested from the Reaper, and he just didn't realize it. So, if in the next episode he stops visiting Hell, maybe that's an indication of that. Um, But, like, it's not like when he finds out about the Reaper here... He suddenly has this epiphany that, oh, that's what it was the whole time. And now I understand and everything. Like, it seems to me like in the end, we're still kind of in the same place we were. Like,
0: minus the Reaper. Um, Well, except that now he can pick up things and he can touch things. So... Right. Right. But what, because he
1: learned how to do that. Like, he, you know, I, right. I imagine he has to, like, exert... Like, it seems like he's exerting all this willpower in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't... That's not back to normal.
0: Um, no, I'm not saying... I'm not saying he is back to normal or anything. No, of course not. All I'm saying is that maybe... Because, like, for example, like, the, the like, falling through the floor. Like, he didn't control that, mm-hmm. right? That w- But that was a disappearance. Granted, not a, like, fading out like he did before. All I'm saying is that maybe that it might be possible that he never went to hell. Or mm-hmm. a hell dimension. Or whatever, you know, we call it. Mm-hmm. But that maybe there was a mental game going on maybe it wasn't the reaper maybe it was something else or whatever but that maybe there's maybe part of like him learning and going through this is is realizing that he has control about you know more control over when he leaves and doesn't leave and Mm -hmm. and especially now that the reaper is gone if even if that only accounted for part of it like maybe it's an indication that things are better, even if Mm -hmm. he's still not, like, cured or recorporealized or whatever. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that is or isn't what's going on. I'm just saying there's a potential there. Now that we know that, like, there's this other spirit that was, like, able to very effectively for years you know fool mystics and you know create sort of these fake uh phantoms and like feed on actual phantoms and like all of these things that maybe like that was a big part of spike's problem and that it Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily him going to hell but like maybe he was going someplace that he thought was hell and it was really just a projection of some kind. Sure. Um, I'm saying that's one potential explanation. Okay. I'm I'm offering. You, you seem not too convinced by that. And so that's fine.
1: I mean,
0: I, again, I'm not necessarily saying that is what happened. I'm just throwing yeah. it out there. So
1: no. And I'm not saying that that's not a possibility. Um, it had not occurred to me in watching it. Um, So I'm curious to see if they ever establish that one way or the other um, or whether it's just sort of left for you to ponder. Um, Because now that he has his sort of ability to like interact with the world again, um, it makes me wonder, is this how we're going to spend the whole season? You know, is Spike like there but not like a ghost but a ghost that has the ability to touch and move things and um you know or is it like a continuing i mean i i it's hard to believe that this is going to be like every episode is let's try another way to save spike and ah oh, darn like fooled again like you know oh, we'll try next week Um, Right, you can only carry
0: that so long.
1: It kind of seems like maybe it'll just stay like this and kind of fade into the background of, like, maybe Fred is experimenting in the background, but you don't hear about it all the time or something. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, and, and I'm interested to see if we ever, you know, find out for sure, like, is it the real hell that he's... I kind of thought maybe they're just not showing it because... It's one of those things that can't be as scary in, you know, in film as it is in your mind. So, you know, like it's
2: just the image of
1: Spike's sort of terrified face is effective enough to to sell the idea of hell rather than having like a kind of crappy CGI, like fire and brimstone sort of image. But, but yeah, maybe it was uh, the reaper all along. I don't know. So instead of like there's almost like that kind of like well, an heart being built on a Indian burial ground except this time it's like this 18th century psychopath (laughs) who you know was a doctor and killed and tortured all these people um and then they sort of used him for a blood sacrifice when they were right uh, to deconsecrate the grounds not to consecrate it um
2: right but to make
1: it to make it evil enough to build their foundation um yeah so maybe it used to be a, a a holy site or just a perfectly fine patch of land and then they spread this guy's blood all over it, and now it's been, like, trouble ever since.
0: Right. And, like, also funny that, like, apparently Wolfram and Hart never noticed that, like, there were no ghosts, right? Like, (laughs) around, like... Because that's what Angel says. It's like, you know, lots of bad things have happened here. There should be, like, a ton of ghosts around, and there actually are... There's literally none except for Spikes.
1: Right. And even, like, not even just the bad things that they've done to people on that location, but the amount of employees that they've probably lost over the years. Like, you know, the high turnover rate would seem to... Demoted. Right, right. That would seem to be a breeding ground, but yeah.
0: Right. Um, Like, it makes you wonder if it was just that sort of, like, um, I don't know, like, the the sort of... uh, uh self-bias thing of like oh we must just have really good security that keeps like the spirits out (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. the self-selection bias of you know our our mystics don't detect anything and we have all these like charms and stuff in place but in reality it was like the spirit of this you know yeah this evil doctor that was like feeding on all the others and becoming stronger over like the millennia. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the centuries, I guess, not millennia. But. Anyway, it is um, kind of funny.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a funny idea. Um, anything else about Spike and the Reaper together? Um,
0: I don't think so. I mean, I so the big decision, of course, is that Spike yeah. chooses to thrust the Reaper into... Um, the recorporealization device
1: mm-hmm. and right. Sacrificing his opportunity yeah.
0: to, which like, only like solidifies Fred's right. resolve to only like a figure true Champion
1: out. would do that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Fred is like you said, more than, more than ever determined, um, uh, you know, that just proves that he's worth saving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and meanwhile, Angel sticks the Reaper in the basement, Um which yeah. kind of reminds me a little bit of Connor's punishment for Angel, the kind of like oh. you're, you're trapped in a coffin at the bottom sure. of the ocean, you know, like. And enjoy your eternal life
0: um i mean for me it had this sort of like arkham like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. batman arkham uh you know insane asylum kind of sure feel to it um yeah of like yeah these small rooms and like you can only see out this little tiny window and um who knows what else is behind, like, all the other doors, you know? Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, and and Eve, once again, you know, whether or not this is the first time Angel's aware of it, she's kind of there when they're down um, checking out the permanent storage. So, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, maybe not literally, but kind of the implication is she's showing him this as, like, you know, or there, you know, by his side when when Angel does that, like kind of gives her approval in a way, like just the fact that she's there and with him. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the tacit approval of, you know, the senior partners.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I wanted to mention at least for a minute, um, the conversation that Spike and Angel have about the prophecy. Um, yes. Which it's not new information necessarily, but it's sort of Spike learning about the prophecy for the first time, which, you know, he's sort of surprised and bemused and envious of right away, you know, mm-hmm. like a goodie for him. Um, he has this redemption prophecy. Um
2: Right and
1: yeah of, and angel of, of giving, course he does that's of course you know. he does, yeah. <laughs> right um, and Angel's kind of giving his perspective of, as we've seen, all prophecies are extremely thorny, and they yeah. never mean exactly what you think they will, um, you save the world, you end up running an evil law firm, um <laughs> right. so. I mean, we're not to the ends of their stories. This is all still sort of progress in their lives. But, yeah, I think Angel's perspective is that, it, in a way, I think he feels like he's not earned his, you know, I don't know that Angel would claim to have earned anything, but he's seen that good things don't always breed rewards. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, the good things that he does don't always come back around in some nice karma that, you know, gives him exactly what he deserves. Um, so he's quite cynical about his prophecy. Um, and kind of assumes that they're both dooms in the long run. That there's no way to really, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure if Angel thinks they're both literally doomed to hell or not, but the idea that they could ever earn their way into heaven is sort of laughable to him.
0: Sure. I mean, I don't know that anybody in the Buffy has a real strict theological outlook on heaven and hell. <laughs> um, sure. One way or another. I mean, you definitely get the sense that, um, the, the that angel because, like, they talk about you know, uh, slice like, oh, well, you came back from hell, um, or you know, again, a hell dimension. Because, like, I feel like, I feel like with this episode in particular, um, and and there probably have been others and, and will be others, like, we sort of ebb and flow between the idea of like dimensions versus like the more. Mm-hmm. you know
1: right the more sort literal of, yeah uh uh yeah
0: right. the, the 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 idea the, the idea of like you know heaven and hell and that kind of thing um being more literal places yeah. um but yeah so like angel but angels like basically like yeah i just i got a reprieve for a while which It's interesting because, like, one, I don't think we've ever heard him sort of express it that way before, which is fine. I mean, he's not always the most expressive guy in the world. But also, like, I don't think, I don't think even just sort of generally speaking, we've ever gotten the idea that, like, Angel's only on sort of, like, a temporary hiatus from hell. Mm -hmm. Like, since whatever, the beginning of season three of Buffy when he comes back, right? Like, Mm I mean, tell me if you think differently, for sure. But, like, until now, I think we just sort of were like, okay, like... Like, it sucked that he had to go there in the first place. And it's great that he came back. And we don't necessarily know why he came back. But, like, I don't think anyone was expecting, like, him to have to return at some point. Just because of that. Like, any any thought on that particular comment? I just.
1: Yeah, no, I'm trying to think and I can't, I can't really think of any instance where he expressed it that way.
0: Yeah. Um, Or even anyone else. Like, I mean, I think like, even like Giles and Buffy are both kind of like, I don't know why he came back, but he's back. So, (laughs) you know, cool beans. Like, (laughs) like, I think that's probably the most that we ever get. Um, and, like, even Angel, like, because when he comes back, remember, he's, like, feral, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, like, I don't think he necessarily even know. And, and even here, he's like, I don't know, like, how I came back. So, it's kind of funny that he, I mean, presumably has thought this whole time that, like, he's just sort of on temporary leave from hell. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives kind of the thrust of his mission Well, it kind of gives his mission a different thrust, I guess I should say, Um, of just that like he's living on borrowed time, not that he's an immortal creature of the night with the soul. Sure. Sure. And do you think it's like
1: on borrowed time in that, well, I better help as many people as I can while I'm here? Or is it, you know, I mean, maybe that, but also maybe stalling for time like maybe let's let let's make this reprieve last as long as we possibly can because don't know what's could be when it's going to end and
0: yeah could be I, i mean i think the other thing then in the face of the prophecy the fact that he's resigned to the fact that he is gonna go back to hell at some point then is interesting because like like does that mean that the fact that he has a soul doesn't mean that he could, like, change his post-life, you know, direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if, if the Shanshu prophecy was real, and if he believed in it and all of that, would that mean that, like, it's not having a soul, but maybe the restoration of humanity could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know like I, all of these are just sort of like questions that I don't know I don't know that ever have answers, let alone we certainly don't have them now um, so just kind of throwing that out there of like it's not it's just it just gives an interesting sort of change to you know how we think about his mission and Mm -hmm. what his goals are if he thinks that it's just yeah he's just on borrowed time and at some point he's going to go back to hell and then and if that's the case what then is the motivation of doing the good or the right or the heroic thing and he's just kind of like what else am i gonna do Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I don't know um, it's, that it's that's better the most than
1: the alternative. Yeah.
0: I don't know that that's the most noble uh you know motivation but it's a motivation I guess.
1: I mean in the face of absolute nihilism, I think it's not unnoble, <laughs> you know, like if the if, sure. if things really are as futile and hopeless as he thinks, which is a big if, um then I think to say, well, I guess I'll be good because what else am I going to do is maybe about as noble as you can get. Um,
0: sure, and it goes back to that more famous quote of, you know, if, if oh, what is it? Uh, if all we have is what we do or whatever. What, what was the one? Um, um,
1: if nothing we do matters. If nothing we right? do
0: matters, right. Thank you. Yeah, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Right. Um, so there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it it definitely is a more nihilistic view than well, I don't even know that it's nihilistic though, technically speaking, because or, he, there's a hell.
1: Or, like or he, fatalistic.
0: He, maybe. He, he just knows yeah. that he's going to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like Oh, there's there's this, and then nothing right, after. Nothing. Yeah. Um. It's right. It's there's it's, this, and then I'm going to uh, eternal damnation of pain and agony. Um, right. Right.
1: Well, there's a funny contradiction in there, though, because in the same paragraph that he's saying, you know, definitively we're going to hell, he also begins the speech by saying nothing's written in stone or fated to happen so that's also true you know like again now maybe he thinks he doesn't have the ability to change that fact but um but there would seem to be a contradiction there if nothing is written in stone then how does he know what's going to happen um so you know i think his feelings are his feelings and and they can't be denied or criticized, but there's, his logic is slightly flawed. Um, sure. You know, and maybe it is just, maybe he doesn't even feel this way all the time. You know, maybe we don't hear him express this because this isn't always his perspective. Um, you know, I think maybe having Spike around and having Spike talk about how despite his heroism and his championship, he's going to hell might be dragging Angel down into the dumps a little bit and making him wonder if that might be true (laughs) for him too.
0: As one who is already prone to brooding.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Then to have like the person who's probably most similar to you, who you can't stand, but like is the other vampire with a soul who has done heroic things and then is saying, despite there's heroic things, I'm going to hell. I could see angels hearing that and thinking, yeah, that sounds about right. You know? <laughs> like, right. And if it's true for you, it's probably true for me too.
0: And, and is this the thing of where, um, you know, you, you dislike the other person because They're so you, you, similar. Hate, you hate what you see of yourself in them? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: I think there's a little bit of that.
0: Um, it would not... Yeah, I would not disagree with that at all. Um, um, but he does like William's poetry.
1: But he does like William's poetry. Um,
0: and I do like that they like call each other by their given names.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Spike says he, he didn't like Liam either, even when they were evil. Right. <laughs> like, even when we, you know which you know, I think together and did a bloody rampage across Europe. Like oh, this really couldn't stand each other. I'm
0: trying to, I, we must get another like flashback episode. I'm trying to remember if we do in, in this season.
1: It. I mean, if you have spike around, it would seem silly not to, but,
0: um, but yeah, it, it like, I think we've seen enough evidence of that already, even like if we don't get another one, but, um, Just of their dislike for each other Mm -hmm. when they were... Yeah,
1: but I think you're right that the dislike is laced with some competition and some envy and some fellow feeling and, like, recognition of themselves and each other. Um, So, I think that's all in there.
2: Yeah.
1: Um want to briefly acknowledge um, Gunn in the White Room and his mm-hmm. ongoing rapport with the conduit, you know, in the form of the Panther. Yeah. Um, um, we don't really get a whole lot more. So again, I don't know that there's a lot to do with it yet. Just to kind of note the fact that Gun is sort of singled out in that way. Yep. Um, and that... And once again, he gives him what he asks. Yeah, it's pretty that's pretty remarkable that you know he asks for some power, and the panther actually like reaches out to kind of you know sniff his hand, like they're actually seem to be getting along. Okay,
0: which is interesting. So, going back to my theory, then that potentially Eve is preventing you know, money from being diverted to help Spike would sort of counteract mm-hmm. that if the conduit to the senior partners like actively helps give them power mm-hmm. uh, to that.
1: Right. Um, or unless are, unless are, that's are what they wanted. even the conduit on different teams. Like, is there well, this faction, you know?
0: Sure, and we if we've talked Which about that possibility, yeah, yeah, of of faction. So certainly that's possible. Possible, or it's also possible that maybe they wanted they wanted them to go to the conduit to get the power. You know, as a way to rely on the senior part, right? Like maybe this is like, right. You know, we're gonna like sort of tie your hands so that you have to come to us and sort of beg. like, it's like a sort of a Godfather mafia thing of like Mm
2: -hmm. wanting
0: you to rely on them as a source of power and right. Right. Or
1: or getting them complacent and thinking, you know, all right, these guys are on our side.
0: Um, Right. And maybe, maybe compromising a bit, right. Mm -hmm. Of their principles of, you know, and, and also, it doesn't come up here, but could this potentially then question Gun again? Uh, you know, they were all about questioning Gun. Was it the last episode where, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, what exactly did they put in your head? And it was the conduit who sort of suggested that they put this. So is there, is there a right. potential here for, if Gunn has this idea... And maybe it's not even, he's doing anything consciously, but maybe, maybe it's like, oh, well, the conduit can help us. And it's just like, well, why would you think of that? Well, the conduit helped me get all this knowledge. And so it's helpful to me. And I have this relationship with it now. Like, yeah, is there a reliance or a dependence even um, Mm -hmm. sort of being built there that. Yeah. Maybe the senior partners would prefer to have. Just Mm -hmm. throwing out some thoughts there. Not saying one way or the other, but
1: Yeah, no, those are all the questions that I was thinking of with I like this little ongoing, you know, relationship that Gunn has with the White Room and the fact that kind of nobody else, you know. Mm-hmm. Has seems to be invited to have that kind of access. Um, sure. Or at least he was reached out to initially and now he's taken it to, you know, assume that he can go up there when he wants and mm-hmm. ask for things and he'll get them. Um, so it's an interesting kind of little subplot for well, night character.
0: I think it's interesting too, because it kind of, like the idea of a conduit, to the senior partners, I think the assumption is that it's for the senior partners to like, sort of like let their wishes be known to the people. But like, you don't get the sense that it's like
1: completely mysterious. Yeah. You don't get, you don't the get sense any that, sense of what they
2: want. Uh. Well,
0: well, but, but you also don't get the sense of anyone at Wolfram and Hart ever like asked the senior partners for things. I mean, maybe that's true, but like, mm-hmm. like there's like, this is, like I don't see like Holland Banners having gone asking you know the little girl for like a doll you know that has magic powers or anything like I I mean maybe he did like I I, you, I we can't say definitively like maybe maybe they did it all the time but like I think the assumption is that a conduit from to the senior partners is like a one way conduit for them to tell you what to do. Sure. And not not a conduit for making requests, mm-hmm. um. But like again, like that's just my sort of reading. That doesn't necessarily that's not necessarily definitive because we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um. I kind of wanted to finish.
1: Back full circle with uh, Fred and Spike, but I kind of feel like we touched on it already. That you know her resolve is that much more, um, and at least for the time being, it seems like he's a. Excuse me, I have hiccups. Um, it seems like he's able to sort of live as he is, or not live. Um, exist, <laughs> exist, maintain. You know his. You know his image here, at least for a while. So I guess that's where we'll leave them for the time being and see if that continues to be stable or if it deteriorates again, I guess that all remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't wanna spoil anything Mm -hmm. but the next episode is more of a lighthearted and fun Halloween episode. So, so we might not get those answers right away. That's okay. (laughs) It's
1: okay. I wasn't expecting them on any timeline.
0: Yeah. Um, But yeah. So yeah, so we'll be back um, with part two of the class. uh, April jumping through the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whatever rift I guess we're calling it, um, and uh, and, and yeah, the the Halloween episode uh, at Wolfram and Hart. We get to see what a Wolferman Hart party looks like.
1: A very Wolferman Hart Halloween.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>